Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 157. I don't have a G update for anybody that likes to tune in and hear that just because it's been so few days since the last one. And all we've been doing is just working on basics and running marks and stuff. And so everything is pretty much the same. Uh, we haven't done Upland yet, so there's nothing to report on that either. Just puppy stuff bumping along with a super high desire to go get whatever she sees flying or falling. So things are good there. Today I'm going to the last one. I'm going to talk about another dog type. Um, I think this stuff is real important because just what I observe and see when people are working with dogs, uh, a lot of times they're just, you know, they have their dog and they're, it's a dog. So they're going to do the dog stuff that they do with it. And sometimes that works well. And sometimes when you don't kind of deal with the kind of car you got there, you know, you might have an old Volkswagen Beetle that's very old, or you might have a Ferrari, or you might have a Land Rover, or an old Chevy pickup truck, and and you gotta kind of know what you're driving to know how to drive it, know what to do to maintain it, know how to service it, and get the most out of it. And you know, it's just like that with these dogs. So the previous podcast, I talked about real soft dogs. Dogs that were just kind of easy, easily affected by the environment around them and they responded to it sometimes in a more of a, you know, a, not a real robust way. And a lot of ways to just deal with that and work through it and not feed into it and let it grow, but instead, you know, build some confidence and boldness by consistency and, and uh, just a lot of exposure and, and patience. Um, today I want to talk about something that I have talked about before on these things. Um, and it's going to be about what I would call them if we, you and I were just talking, I would call them crazy dogs, but dogs that have kind of an ADHD thing going, um, where their attention span is about a second and a half constantly all the time, unless they're eating, chasing something or sleeping. You know, it's just a real sporadic uh, attention span. <clears throat> and it seems like it's getting a lot more common, maybe because there's just more dogs. I don't know, or just, I've seen more dogs. So I've seen more of it. I'm not sure what it is, but, but I always have several of those in the training kennel at one time. So at least sometimes more. So I know that there's, you know, there's a fair amount of them. And I think a lot of times people misread that particular brain activity as puppy. Oh, it's just a puppy. And so, you know, they excuse the stuff and, and figure the dog will outgrow it. Well, I have two kids with ADHD and they don't outgrow it. It changes and they develop coping mechanisms, but their brain still functions the way their brain functions. And it is, as far to the best of my knowledge, it's, it's an organic thing. I couldn't, I don't know enough to say, but it is literally some, some brain chemistry you know, physiology kind of things in humans. And I'm just positive that it is in dogs as well. So, you know, what, what they've often done and still do with kids is you drug them um, with stuff. You either, you know, give them the speed thing that allows them to focus better, but then they are kind of amped up or else they give them some of the numbing things. So they're just not so much of a problem. And frankly, with dogs, that happens a lot. And I saw, I was, 
was sitting in my vet's office oh, a year or so ago, and they had big signs on there, you know, about how, does your dog get wildly excited when you leave and do they all this stuff? But they had these nice calming, calming, that's what they call it, drugs. And I understand the need for that. I'm not really belittling that. I'm just saying, yeah, you can drug it. But you also, you can, if you understand the phenomena that you have, you can deal with it quite a bit. Uh, because drugging it merely just tamps it down. It doesn't address it or fix it or develop coping mechanisms for them. It just overwhelms them with something stronger than their own chemistry. And so the dog can't really get better. So I'm going to talk about ways to maybe work through this. Uh, if, so let's just talk about what, what am I talking about? What does this look like? So on little puppies, it is hard. On little puppies, they, you know, their brains don't support very extended thought. So they don't have a real kind of attention span. But a little puppy, even an eight-week-old puppy, can look you in the eye or not. So it's not like at that age they're not capable of looking you in the eye. But because they are, but not all of them do. So that is something that I would just look at. I wouldn't make a judgment on it, but I would just hold my little puppy up face to face and make some little scoochy puppy noises. And does the dog make just real rapid eye contact and then off and back and forth and off? Or, you know, do they hold eye contact? I would always, well, with every puppy, I would always note that. That tells you a little bit about the thought patterns going on in that little barely developing brain something to just be aware of and then when you see them interacting with the world they're in whether it's another dog whether it's the the puppy bumper you threw whether it's outside and a butterfly when you watch them interact with something is there can they maintain a a sustained you know interact with them however that is you know, if you're just taking the puppy walk, which I hope anyone, especially with these guys, would be doing, you know, does the dog remain connected with you? Or does the dog just kind of get off on its own and just disconnect and then stay disconnected as many, many other things are occupying its attention at the time? So it's not too difficult over for a period of time to be able to see whether this dog engages very long with anything or, or not. Um... Or does it engage another part of that would be, and again, I'm not an expert on dog psychology uh, formally, uh, just out of, you know, tens of thousands of hours of time with them. But another thing would be um, kind of a maniacal um, obsession with something. And you got to be real careful when, when you have a little, a young dog that really likes retrieving and it's kind of one of these crazy guys. And so what a lot of people will do is just throw, you know, over and over and over in attempt to wear it out. And what you're doing very often is that maniacal thing that they get. Now they, we want them to be passionate about retrieving. I didn't say maniacal ever. Um, they got to really love it, but be fully engaged in it. But when they're sort of eyes are glazed over and, you know, you, and people, then they throw a zillion of these things, especially balls, which I don't throw for at least the pointing guys. I don't throw, I don't throw balls cause I don't want dogs chasing birds, period. Um, 
But when people throw balls and then the dog kind of gets lathered up and really their eyes, if you look at them, of course, they're not making any eye contact with you at all because they're getting in this maniacal crazy thing and it kind of feeds itself and accelerates it. Worst thing ever, that kind of maniacal place. It could be maniacal over the squirrel on the back fence. You know, it could be maniacal over this weird stuff. People going by the window and they just go nutso, right? And I mean, it's out of proportion for the situation. Sometimes that is a little key that the mind is kind of operating on its own and not really engaged with the world in which it's sitting at the time. And that's another part of this sort of hyperactivity thing that, that needs to be understood if you're going to own this dog, raise this dog, and then train this dog. So it's not just a goofy puppy. And it's not just something you apply to some dog that's just kind of highly energetic. I'm talking about mental engagement with you and with the environment and with its activities. That's what I'm talking about. So you can have a high energy, high intensity dog that engages very, very firmly with things all the time. That's not a, a, one of these ADHD guys. It's just a highly motivated guy. There is a difference because with this hyperactivity deal, they lose, they can't control what they're thinking and sometimes even how they're feeling about stuff or what they're doing. So they, they don't have control over that. And it, if you feed into that kind of hyper deal, it, it makes it worse. It, it grows and expands that. So it's important, really, like really important, I think, uh, for these dogs, ultimate success, both in any performance things you have for them or just that family life. There's a lot of these dogs that wind up in the, the rescue places because somebody that's not real good with dogs cannot handle and maybe the things they did just made it even worse. But it, they're, they're like a kid with ADHD. You know, a lot of times they could get into all kinds of trouble and you could misread them something fierce. You could think that they weren't very smart. Um, you could think that they just didn't care. You could think a lot of things that were not true. And I learned this through my own kids because their outward activities or behavior is like, well, that's a kid's lazy, doesn't even care, doesn't even pay attention, not even interested. Oh, what's wrong with them? And it's because they don't know how to control themselves, the th things that are going on in their head to stay paying attention to something that they would really like to pay attention to. And I feel like it's that way with the dogs as well. So I want to talk about little the little guys when you first, when you bring home the little, the little eight-weekers. Just look for things. Look at the their ability to connect both with you, whether eye contact, whether it's just contact with you. Do they just go bouncing off of you, you know, or do they come and sit next to you? And then their environment outside. Do they, can they go along on your walk and, and be on a path and just be smelling where the rabbits were and, and engaged with that and remain engaged? Or do they do that and all of a sudden, whoa, what was that? A cricket went over in a grasshopper. And now we're on that and we're here and there and we're all over the place. So you can get a lot of signs very early on. Um, also their interactions with other animals, you know, do they read the other animal with which they're interacting and then adjust or do they just mindlessly do stuff? And you know, the other dog is saying, I don't like this and they just don't even know. So a lot of look for signs like that. So that when they're very young, there's kind of a two pronged approach to what you want to do to this one, 
well, three, the first one being be aware of this going, Oh, this little guy has a mind that he's, that's getting the best of him and doesn't always work in concert with the dog's best interests, the body, you or whatever. Be please that the most humane, loving thing you can do is to be aware of that. Then be, try not to do things which um, magnify or enhance a chaotic kind of thinking. Again, running around crazy with a bunch of dogs. Worst thing ever, because then you don't have to think or focus or anything. You just follow your urges and go for it. So the craziness, you know, throwing a ball and throwing a ball and the other dog's getting it and they're getting it and then any of that kind of stuff. I would never do with a dog like that. One, I would do that walk thing and I would watch and watch and watch about this dog's level of engagement with itself, with where it is, with me, with what's happening, with the temperature, with all that stuff, you know, sticky stuff, scary stuff. Is it thinking about something else and doesn't even miss and just falls off of something? Maybe not because that might not be a stupid dog. It was just mine was all on something else and it didn't take in the fact that there's a drop off in front of me. So there's a, a lot of stuff like that if you watch the detail. And then, <clears throat> so use your walk for that and learn a lot about that stuff. And then give very small opportunities with very limited stimulation to engage with this dog. And let's say you got a little 8, 10, 12-week-old puppy, right? That is just seems like one of these crazy guys. So one of the things you want to do without a lot of stimulation around, like not at a park, kids are screaming, balls are flying, frisbees are going all over, other dogs are everywhere. Not the kind of place I'm talking about. For me, early mornings. I, I think animals are best early mornings. I'm certainly best early mornings. So really, you know, right after first light, when it's an awakening time for all most living things, the ones aren't going to bed after all night. And you and this dog go and be together or, or, you know, do something in the retriever stuff. You know, if it's just putting them on a leash and letting them drag it so that there's something that they're doing, but it's a very simple, single thing. And it's with you. And it's at a time of day that is not highly stimulating, but is kind of a very, you know, earthy, calm time. That's just go and do one simple thing. Again, it could be just walking with you, dragging a leash. It could be walking with you on a leash, not perfectly, just connected by the leash. What, how does the dog respond to that? Do they finally learn to quit going the other direction or laying down or rolling over? You know, do one simple thing or a couple retrieves out, not, not difficult in any way, out and back. Ah, so good. One more. All right, that's it. So you begin to engage with them on very simple things with no big distractions. And this is the important part of this, guys. Whatever it is that works for you that you can do, you don't do it a couple times and call it good. This is a thing that has to be repetitive and consistent and maybe for a very long time until you actually reprogram some of those synapses in the brain that are so wild and crazy. So, I mean, you can't do it for a couple weeks. You have to make it a way of life. So every morning you get up and before you go out and do your walk, you, or maybe at the end of your walk, you both sit down over on the little bench over there and the dog's there and you just sort of interact, you know, and you, maybe you do your one thing. But until the dog begins to develop a habit of this calm, 
connected thing. And first you have to get it in one simple place. So I get the ideal early morning, nobody else around. The world is calm and quiet. Excellent place. And you're only going to get this connection, this understanding, this thing going between you, maybe in the beginning for five or 10 seconds. Maybe that's all. But you'll notice that next week or the week after, it's 30 seconds before they saw the fly go by. So it's something that you have to just wear into their developing. And this is real important. If you take a five-year-old, five-year-old dog that has, he's got his thinking pretty hardened in. Now, anything can learn and change, of course. But when they've had five years of being the way they are, that's a big road to try and adjust that. When you have that little eight, 10, 12-week-old puppy, you don't have any hardened thinking at all. You have what their organic thing is, which is woo, crazy. So you can now start to form that into small pieces of, of, of continued thought, some focus, some attention, some engagement. And so that's why you want to do it for the whole first year of this dog's life and forever. But you really want, while that little brain is forming and all the body's working with the brain and they're all connected and this little dog is learning what its thing is in the world, if you spend energy and time in the focused, aware, connected activities and moments more than you do the wild and crazy ones, then that's what is going to continue to grow in that little dog's head. If you don't have time for that, then whatever the dog does most of the time or has the most fun with, which it may be the kids throwing the ball 73 times, then we are enhancing exactly the kind of thinking and synapses that we don't want. So if you think about that a little bit with a, within the confines of your life and what you can do, that is really important. And you can take those little guys and, and, can, and help condition them to managing the way their mind works managing it and allowing it to develop the more focusy stuff than the wild and crazy stuff so that when that dog starts coming into more formal training at six or seven or eight months of, of age, you know, now you can put the leash on and the dog goes, ah, leash on. And they sort of settle into a learning mode because that's all they've ever done from the very beginning. So it isn't just like, oh my God, what are we doing? I don't know. what they, they just, you just bring them into that. And then when you do teach these guys, when they do get up to that age, when you do this, you can't do it in all, for five minutes. You, you can't. When you're going to start teaching heal and sit, you know, formally, like, all right, you got to heal and sit every time and you got to do this stuff and come when I call you and sit in front of me or, and I'm going to use terms once, you know, just because they're, they're wild and crazy doesn't mean we have to say heal four times or sit three times. It's still the one time. So now, because that's hard, they have to listen when you say something and then execute it. So you have to, you have to, you can only do that on a, on a attention challenged mind in beginning and very, you know, I would say two minutes, maybe two minutes, stop. So you don't want it because you're going to reach a point where their little head is rejecting the focus and the thought. It just can't sustain three straight minutes of, of this stuff. It's never done that before. And so they begin to re look at this negatively or resist or push back. And you don't want that. Now we're engaged in a conflict, which we don't need. 
So you start them nice and slow and easy on this stuff. And, and for a short period of time, the thing though, you got to be careful. And I've seen people do this. Like, I really want to caution anybody that has one of these dogs that's listening is just because their, their focus is a little bit challenged at times, doesn't mean you say any command more. You matter of fact, I'd say you say it less. So what you have to do is be you, you have to be as fully engaged as you want that dog to be. If you're not, and you're working with one of these dogs, not good. Absolutely not good. So maybe you're not real good at going more than two minutes, staying fully engaged in this activity. But in your mind, you're just, we'll just use basic obedience. If when you say sit, bottom goes down first time. You can control that. You can teach them, you know, push the bottom down, make sure they know what sit is. Later, you can enforce with some kind of enforcement pressure, you know, pop on the bottom with a plastic thing or something so that they learn when I hear one sit, I sit. And they can. And as you go through this consistently, not doing identically the same thing every day, but some version of this work where it's always consistent and it's not to the point where they're just, fighting to even remain engaged with anything you have by this time you should know that and so still demand a very high standard do it for a short period of time now folks this does not mean okay instead of my normal 10 minute obedience session or whatever you conventionally do i will do two minutes in the morning and then two minutes at the before lunch and then i'll do two minutes in the afternoon and then and you're still going to get your 10 minutes in generally I wouldn't do that. And I know people like to do that. And maybe there are some dogs that benefited by that. Um, I would be careful because that's still a lot. Still four or five times in a day where you're demanding this extreme focus. Um, make sure that they can sustain that. I would start with once a day. And then if once you get that where it's going pretty well, instead of doing it more often, go from two minutes to three or four. So that, you, because what we're trying to do is grow some sustained um, mental focus and attention. And so just doing a lot of little short ones isn't as good as slowly increasing the time you do this. I would never exceed with a dog four or five minutes, any dog at all. Because you do read, a, even with the guys that don't have any trouble focusing, is boring. And you read a, reach a point of uh, diminishing return on that. So that's another important aspect of this. Okay, now we've talked about little puppy stuff. We've talked about beginning some of the formal training. I want to talk about some things that people think about these dogs that I, I would encourage you to think more, add more to it. But usually what I see is when people have the little crazy guys, then they think that turn it, letting them run and, and exercise a lot is the way to drain that. And actually most of the time that doesn't drain it, it feeds it. Because if they're having, if you know, you're turning them loose out in the backyard with, you have a huge backyard and fangs out there and they're just running, you know, Daytona 500 laps around there. Um, that's chaotic thinking. That's no thinking. That's no focus. That's just mindless, you know, spit flying and following the big dog, smacking into stuff because they don't even see it. So that's a great happy and therefore all of their, all the good energy goes into that in their minds. That's what grows. That's what expands. So it's actually hurting you most of the time. And, and 
I know people don't think that, and I'm, I tell you, I do. I really do. I, I don't do that with those little guys. I, uh, exercise is great. That is not exercise. That is wild chaos, which is growing the, uh, the, the absolute lack of sustained thought and just the chaos and crazy. Exercise is good. What takes these guys down the most in any dog is doing the algebra problems, not playing pickup basketball out at, at recess, right? The algebra problems drains more of your energy, mental and ultimately physical too. It tires you out more than if you're just out there shooting hoops, counting to 21, right? It's so just running around is, is not the best way to deal with these guys. Now, for me, again, most people listening to this know that I run every now and then. And so for me, I think the ideal thing is you can do it on a bike. If you're aware that bikes, you can go easily 13 miles an hour on a bike. And that's not what your dog should be doing. Um, is if you went for a walk or a run and runs good, cause then the dog can kind of trot. But if you get, put your dog on a leash at a heel and, and go for a run or, you know, a, a bike ride with them attached to you and they have to go your speed, your direction. Now there's a lot of safety things and don't have them off leash and don't run on concrete very much because that's not how their bones and their feet are not meant to do that. It needs to be dirt trails and grass and stuff like that. But just conceptually, this is it. So they're getting exercise. They're moving over the ground and they're having to focus at the same time because you're running a 10 minute mile and you're going to do two or three of them because you want to get in shape with your dog, right? And so you're running a 10-minute mile. They need to run a 10-minute mile. Even if they could run a 6-minute mile, they need to run a 10. And they need to do it at your side. So they need to be moving, watching, making sure they don't cross over in front of you. That's a sin for any dog running with a person. You never cross in front of them because then you trip and fall in, into the street. And they're running along. They have to watch where you're going. And when you slow down, they have to slow down. They have to, not you. They learn, you know, I, and then when you stop, they stop. And then when you go again, they go. All right. So they're having to focus on all kinds of things. You, where they are, what's in front of them, all of that stuff. You know, how fast they're going. Oh, are we going to stop? What's happening? And at the same time, they are getting a very appropriately moving balanced forwards the way they're meant to run, move forward so your damage and injury you know susceptibility is far less and they are having to focus and do something they love which means that's what's growing with the focus thinking right and they're getting you're spending the energy that they do have a lot of because they're young and crazy and yet it's all working so well for you it's like magic I, I could just sit here and tell you stories of dogs whose lives I've saved because of the situation they were in and how they felt and how, what was going on. And I would just take them out on this walk, uh, run. And within, I would say three weeks, it takes, it's, you know, they got to learn not to go in front of you or they can't just pee whenever they want. They have to like do all that before, just like running an event. You can't be going along the highway and all of a sudden well, you have to get ripped off to, cause they stop. But they, so they go and they just uh, love this and their mind is focused the whole time. They're doing what they're meant to do, which is this running and they're doing it with you and their mind has to work the entire time. And so when you do that with some consistently, 
consistency. It is heaven to them. And especially the crazy guys with the mind all over it, just like it does with people, the mind stops that and it settles in on the activity and it takes in what it needs to take in and nothing else. And it is just like giving them a magic pill. Only they get fit, they get healthy, um, they spend the physical energy they don't need and they develop the mental focus that they need and they're doing it all with you. So that's one of the magic pills for uh, these kind of dogs and really any kind of dog, but it's a problem solver with these guys. And again, because whatever they're doing that they love the most is what that thinking and that mindset expands and grows and develops. And so that's why that kind of activity is, if you want to get them exercise, not running around the backyard with Fang, but get off the couch yourself. And even if, if you're just walking, then go get where you can walk three or four miles at a good clip, that dog right at your side the whole time. And you don't stop and let them sniff stuff and they can't chase the robin. They can go the, I've had dogs that could go 12 or 15 miles. I just wrap the leash around their neck and they would just stay with me. Never stop to do anything. Um, I'd let them stop and get a drink somewhere, but they just were just in the zone, man. They loved it. Like we were antelope just running across Wyoming. And there's, that's probably the single best thing in a dog's head that you can have. So if you're lucky and if you have a, a not a, I wouldn't, you know, get your, uh, aero bike for this, but a kind of a nice, just beater bike and go on a dirt road or a path or something with the dog attached to you, not running all crazy all around. And you can go on a bike and do this stuff. Um, and you know, it's just the rewards are gamongous if you do it, but that's one of the best ways to grow the mind nicely and spend the energy at the same time and you kill like five birds with one stone with this deal so that's probably one of the most helpful things for these if you develop that kind of thinking and that kind of ability to focus and be really happy about it then you can take these crazy suckers and turn them into top performing uh, animals or fantastic house animals family pets to have around because now they're calm and they're just laying down and they're not fretting and obsessing over all kinds of stuff because their mind has gotten all that stuff worked out in some of the activities that you've undertaken with them. So I'm going to leave it with that because that's a lot that I'm talking about. And these dogs, if you don't want to drug them up or send them off to somebody who kind of beats them into submission for you, um, if you identify what they are and you got, it's a time, these guys take the time and they take the consistency every day. And when you do that, the payoffs are huge, but it's going to be more work. But I'll, I will say this on the behalf of the dog. Um, it's hard for them. It's hard to be one of them. Just like it's hard to be, uh, a person with ADHD, especially a lot of ADHD. It's hard um, my daughter made me understand that so well. And, and you can get angry and frustrated because you know how it's supposed to be, but it's not that way. And your mind isn't supporting what you want to do and how you feel about stuff. And it can be a very difficult thing. And it's definitely that way for animals. They don't want to be all wild and crazy and slamming into stuff and spit flying and seeing you frustrated all the time, but they have to learn how to, uh, monitor themselves and you have to develop those 
those synapses in their brain for dealing with stuff in a sustained and consistent manner. And that's, if you don't do the work, they can't possibly develop that. So um, there, it's real doable, but you got to really undertake the project and really care about these guys. So that's today's on uh, Crazy Dogs, ADHD guys. I hope that makes sense to people because I know there's a lot out of them and they can be so frustrating. I know when I get them in, you know, and they've never been taught anything and good Lord, you know, it's, I, it's not fun because I have to like try and get it all done in a short period of time. And it it's just would have been nice if they had never learned just the crazy, crazy deal really would have been. So that's it for now. Um, next one, I'll have a G report and I'll either do some listener questions or we'll talk about maybe the uh, what a fire breathing dragon guys we can talk about dealing with them because a lot of us have those kind of dogs too. So I hope people find that useful. I hope everybody is safe. Uh, getting ready for Fourth of July coming soon. Have a real uh, safe and happy one of those. And I will be back soon. <laughs>